Good morning, Senior Pastor. Good morning, Pastor Ho. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, in looking at our lesson today, um, I was so encouraged Amen. because of everything that's kind of been going on um, in our world today. Uh, we find that sometimes God takes us through a time of um, repenting, um, a time of repentance, uh, so that we can return to the covenant that he made, not only with Abraham, but by extension with us as well. Um, so uh, today's lesson God, is God sends his messengers. And as usual, we are dividing it into three areas, uh, three bullet points. Um, repent and return to covenant. And that's Jeremiah 3, verses 6 through 13. Joel 2 verses 12 through 17. Second bullet point, lack of repentance punished. And we will f go through Isaiah 9, verses 13 through 21. Uh, Hosea 8, verses 1 through 9. And then the third bullet point is hope for the future. And that is Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 37, verses 15 through 23, and Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20. So we have quite a bit to cover today, and, um, you know, hopefully we can do justice to it um, as we kind of highlight some of the main points in this lesson. Um, God sent the prophets to call his people to repentance. That was their main objective. You know, uh, they were sent to call uh, God's people to repentance. Uh, we will look at God's message through his prophets and resolve and, and make a resolve to obey God's word. Now, what or who are prophets? And I actually, uh, in studying for this lesson, Senior Pastor, I found this article on uh, israelmybeloved.com. It's called Judges, Prophets, Priests, and Kings. And, uh, you know, if you'll indulge me for a second, I'm going to read it because I think it's pertinent to this lesson. It kind of encapsulates all that we have been studying um, and uh, kind of leads to the Messiah. So it says, in their ancient history, the people of Israel looked for political leadership to divinely empowered individuals, judges, prophets, and kings. Now, in the era between the Testaments, Israel's priests also fulfilled a more political role, whereas earlier they had led in the more religious sense in worship, sacrifices, and so on. Now, the different types of leaders were raised up at various stages in Israel's national development or to fulfill definite roles at, a specific, at specific times. Thus, Moses and Joshua were God-appointed individual leaders over the newly emancipated Israelite tribes. And we talked about Moses uh, a few lessons ago. The judges were used to de deliver chastised Israel from the various enemies God permitted to oppress them during the first centuries in the land. The first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, ruled over the consolidated and united nation of Israel, the rest over the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah until both went into captivity, the ten tribes never to return again. Apart from Moses, who the Bible calls the greatest prophet who ever lived, the Lord appointed a number of super-spiritual men among them Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, who were called to speak for God, act on his behalf, and communicate his message courageously to the nation of Israel. Knowing just when in Israel's national history each of these prophets lived can help us to understand the contexts in which they brought their messages and how and where those prophecies still apply to the future. And then, of course, 
there is the Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. For the Jews as a nation, he is still unknown, still anticipated, still longed for. For the believer in Jesus, he has already come and been revealed, and we now await his return to his own people and his own land, the people and land of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? And I, I, it's so important for us to understand the connection uh, between Israel, between Jesus, and between us. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is coming back again. Uh, and the prophets were sent to speak to Israel, just as now, by extension, the prophets are speaking to us. Now, prophets here meaning that they encounter the word of the Lord, right? Um, prophets see, um, uh, they see through the darkness of this present age spreading the light of God's kingdom. Prophets speak, they are the mouth of God. The prophets encounter with the word of the Lord compels them to speak, the word of the Lord is like a fire in the heart that cannot be contained. Prophets act. They portray God's story on the stage of history. The actions of the prophets were extreme at times. For instance, Isaiah, uh, he walked around naked for three years, acting out the shameful plight of the enemies of God. Jeremiah destroyed a clay jar in the presence of the elders of Jerusalem to signify the coming calamity upon the people. And Hosea married a harlot, a prostitute, and redeemed her adultery to demonstrate God's love and redemption of the people of Israel who had committed spiritual adultery by following after other gods. So prophets here prophets see, prophets speak, prophets act, and we know that prophets are messengers of the Lord. They are the custodians of God's great story. The message of the prophets brings the reality of God to bear upon human reality. As the people of Israel forsook the covenant generation after generation, the prophets maintained fidelity to God's law. In a world of many gods, the prophets adamantly declared, the Lord is or God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. So prophets served a very important role um, in calling uh, the children of Israel and calling people back to God. Uh, repent and return to covenant, repent and return to covenant, and that's what the prophets did. Senior pastor, turning it over to you. Yeah, and I'm 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 happy, Pastor. All um, the prophets adamantly declared that the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, and I think that all of us listening today, all of us who are servants of the Lord, all of us who are preachers and believers of the Lord can declare that the Lord is our God. If he's not your God, then somebody else is. So today we are called upon to hear, to see, and to speak. Very three important words. Hear, see, speak. So at the end of this service, when you're asked to give your praise report. Some people never seem to have a praise report. They never seem to have anything to say about the Lord. But we are called upon today that we must hear, see, and speak. Never be afraid. Never be, you know, uh, wary in talking about the Lord, your God, what he has done for you. But repent and return. Jeremiah Speaking to Israel, God's people, the redeemed of the Lord. Calling upon them. And you see that word, repent. 
and return to covenant. God had made a covenant with them, and we told you about this a few lessons ago when um, God gave the words to Moses, and Moses returned it unto the people in the wilderness, and they said, all that the Lord say we will do, and it was then that they became the church uh, in the wilderness. Um, And we have a covenant, a promise. We made a promise with the Lord. When we got saved, we made a covenant with him that we will serve him. So not only is this a lesson to Israel and Judah, but it's a lesson to us as well. Now, repent. What is repentance? Just to clarify, repentance is godly sorrow for sins committed. And ain't nobody born in this world can say that they are not sinners. For we were born in sin, we were shapen in iniquity. Right? Born in sin and shaping iniquity. And repentance is to say that we are sorrowful. I'm sorry for what I've done, Lord. And I'm going to forsake it. I'm going to leave it. And I'm not going to return to that situation. Don't go back to that situation. Now, we have two kinds of repentance here. (laughs) True repentance and false repentance. Um, Ever hearing about people say to you, oh, I'm sorry for that? And then them go around the corner and them laugh you to scorn because they never really mean it. No. False repentance means that you say to God, I'm sorry, but you really don't mean it. And Jeremiah, take up the charge here in Jeremiah 3, verses 8 to 11. And I saw, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. Now, you need to pay attention to that word too, adultery. Because uh, you remember this in St. John, I think chapter 3 or 4, the story of the woman when Jesus sat at the well and um, she came and Jesus asked her for water and so on and um, she said, I have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And Jesus said, if, if you knew the gift of God and we're talking to you, you would have asked of him and he would have given you the water that is not in the well. And she said, she said, Lord, give me this water. And Jesus said, no, in order for you to do that, you have to go call your husbands and come back. And she said, Lord, I have no husband. And he said, you're talking the truth because you have five and one more. And even the one you're married to now is not your husband. Now, they were married in fornication because the fornicator is the person who has the married person. All right? The person who has the married person is the fornicator. The adulterer is the person who is married to that person that is not your companion. All right? So they were living in adultery. But Jesus said, no, pay attention to this. Committed adultery, it wasn't, it wasn't sexual. It was that they had put away the strange, they had put away God, and they were worshiping other God. Let me repeat that. They had put away the true and living God, and they were worshiping other God. So it's not necessarily sexual in nature here. It's spiritual. And I saw for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also, or prostitute. She was a, the Lord was talking about prostitution here. Yet her treacherous sister feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass with the likeness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Going to the last straw, committed adultery, in other words, were worshiping stones and trees and rivers and so. Verse 10, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah had not turned unto me with her whole heart, but faintly said, the Lord 
And the Lord said unto me, the backsliding Israel had justified herself more than treacherous Judah. So they were guilty of the crime. Guilty. And here comes Jeremiah in about 627 B.C. before Christ. During the middle of Josiah's um, 31-year reign, and we talk about Josiah, that um, he reigned at, began his reign at eight years old, and that he was the last of the righteous king. We said that a few weeks ago, so hopefully you remember that or you want to underline that. The northern kingdom of Israel had fallen before the mighty Assyrian Empire a century earlier. The people of the southern kingdom of Judah developed a false sense of security. Oh, and we need to pay attention to that as well. They develop a false sense of security, thinking that, well, I'm all right in the wrong that I'm doing, and God is not going to do anything about it. Oh, no, my friend. God, God is going to do something about it. God would not allow Jerusalem to suffer the fate of the northern kingdom. For 40 years, Jeremiah warned Judah that God would give Jerusalem over to the Babylonians if they did not repent. Forty years he was preaching. Forty years he was giving them the warning. But they would not repent. They would not heed the warning. And um, the writer here says that throughout the generation, the people had committed adultery with stones and trees committed adultery. They worship stones. They worship trees instead of the true and living God. Now, are you worshiping anything today rather than the true and living God? Does anything or anybody have your attention more than God? If so, then you are guilty of the crime. Verse 12 um, gave give words of comfort and hope. Two words of hope was given here to them. It told Jeremiah, go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, return, thou backsliding Israel. And God is always calling us to come back to him. He never gives up on us, never give up on us. He's always waiting for us to come back to him with true repentance. Um, Return thou backsliding, Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the stranger's under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. In other words, preach and warn. That's words of hope. Preach and warn. Turn your face north towards the ruins of Israel and prophesy. In other words, preach, warn. They would share Israel's faith if they failed to sincerely repent. Jeremiah's dire warning contains two words, words that offer hope for Judah's future. What are those two words? First one is to return. Come back. Come back to me. Come back to your first love. Come back, you backslider. And the second word of hope is merciful. Return and I will Offer mercy. I will show mercy to you. This speak of God's enduring faithfulness. Even as his bride and the church is his bride. We are a part of the bridal party. When you are having a wedding, the bride selects her party, her bridesmaid. The groom selects his groommen and um, so on. And the church is the bride of Christ. They have been unfaithful, right? They have left their steadfast love. And God does not ignore the sin. He loves you. 
but it does not ignore the sin. The gracious God has already destroyed Israel and is threatening to do the same to Judah. Can I tell you this morning that sin provokes the gracious God to anger and sin has consequences. Can I say that one more time? Sin has consequences, especially if we fail to repent. We are going to suffer the consequences of sin. Um, Romans 3.23 said, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In anger, God rebuked the warring people. In mercy, God cries out to the war, Return to me. And he's calling to us today. He wants true repentance. And if we have false repentance, there is true repentance. What is true repentance? Verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your art and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And let me pause there. Turn with all your heart. Don't be half-hearted about it. Be sincere and do it with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. I've always said to you that I know that something is happening to an individual when the tears are coming down from their eyes. Sometimes we cry and it's not tears of, of sorrow Sometimes it's, it's tears of joy. Sometimes it's because the Lord has forgiven us that we weep and we mourn. Sometimes we weep because we're looking where he brought us from, what he has done for us, and how he has brought us to. And verse 13 says, Rend your heart and not your garment, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repented him of the evil. Now, what was Job, um, Joel calling for here? He called the nation to repentance in the midst of judgment. Joel challenged the pretense of repentance in which hearts remain unchanged. And that's what we are preaching to. They had a form of godliness but they were denying the power of God. God help us that we don't find ourselves in that situation where we have just a form of godliness, but that we are truly saved. We are changed from the inside, and it will reflect on the outside. We are not like anybody else. We are peculiar people, and we should walk in that. Um, this repentance was often symbolized by the tearing of one's garment. And that's what it meant thereby. Rend your heart and not your garment. In old days, they used to tear one's garment to show that they have repented. But Joel declared that true repentance is more than torn clothes. It is a matter of a broken heart. A broken heart is expressed with weeping. When you are broken, you, 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 you break down and you cry and you weep and you mourn. Uh, can I tell somebody this morning that repentance is something painful? Amen. When you are in a repentance mood, you get down in sackcloth and ashes and you have to do some work. The purpose of God's discipline and judgment is to provoke sorrow to the point of repentance. Something that happened that you remember that time, oh, I did so and so, and I had to cry to the Lord, and it's not anything you will forget, which leads to salvation. Repentance leads to salvation, godly sorrow. It's a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and the Lord will not despise that. Again, we return to the priority of the covenant. The Lord said in Joel 2, verse 12, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And in Joel 2, verse 12, true repentance, repentance requires the turning of the heart away from false gods and sinful desires and toward the Lord and righteousness. When John the Baptist called Israel to repentance, he exhorted, he said, bring forth therefore fruit worthy of repentance. Our repentance must be something authentic, right? Requires a complete change of heart and making things right. And that's what we're called upon to do today. If you have any sin, if you have done anybody any wrong, if you have transgressed against God, we are calling you back through the Spirit of the Lord to come back into a true relationship with God. And listen this, and this was one of my pet scripture when I was a young preacher. Joel, Joel called the leaders of Judah to call a fast, call the people together and consecrate them. This solemn event was for everyone. Assemble the elders, he said. Gather the children and the priests were to lead the way. And I hope we're doing that. If my people, which are called by my name, and um, listen to this quote before we turn it over to Pastor Hope for those who are lacking repentance. God is gracious, filled with mercy. In mercy, God calls us to repentance. When we repent, God is gracious to forgive, but grace is more than forgiveness. It is also God's transformation of the human heart. God heals heart, diseased by sin, and strengthens us so that we can cooperate with God's redeeming work in our lives. Grace is empowerment to live in righteousness and justice. Divine grace that only comes from God enables believers to resist the deeds of the flesh and live in the power of the Spirit. Thank God for grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see by the grace of God, I'm saved. Turn it around, children, and let's have true repentance because when there is no repentance, we have problems. But when there is repentance, when we have godly sorrow for sin, we can indeed rejoice and be happy. Lack of repentance, Isaiah's vision, Pastor O. Thank you, Senior Pastor. And that, what a great outline for genuine, true repentance and what it looks like. But what happens when there is lack of repentance? Um, and we understand, as you said earlier, that sin has consequences. You know, I, I, there's this, you know, pet saying that I always say to, to young people, the choices you make dictate the life you lead. Um, and so certain choices that we have made in life has caused us to suffer certain consequences, and we understand that not every consequence is the same. Not everybody is going to go through the same set of challenges or this, the, the judgment or, you know, the consequence um, of their sin um, in the same way maybe you might or I might. Everybody goes through something um, based on the decisions that they have made in the past. Um, but lack of repentance, um, when you don't repent, you suffer a consequence. Yep. You suffer a punishment. You are no longer um, in the will of God, but now you are kind of on your own. And let's look at what Isaiah says about the lack of repentance. 
Um, in Isaiah 9, verse 13 through uh, 21, actually I'm going to read through 17, it says, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. They don't seek God. Therefore, this is what happens when you lack repentance. The Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, in one day, meaning quickly. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people caused them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is an hypocrite. <laughs> this is what Isaiah's vision declared. Everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this is all for all this. His anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Mm. Now, Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of four kings with his ministry spanning four decades, very long and productive uh, ministry. His ministry began with the death of King Uzziah when a long period of stability gave way to an uncertain future. And we can, you know, we can share in this. Um, there are times when we have uncertain uncertainty about our future um, and God sent Isaiah at the right time in order to warn the people um, on the day of Uzziah's death Isaiah and we know the scripture it says on you know on the day King Uzziah uh, died I saw the Lord high and lifted up um, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 this encounter con convinced Isaiah that the kings of the earth were more pretenders to power. The real power rested with Yahweh, yeah. who is the true king, capital K, of the world. This vision of Yahweh helped Isaiah to understand and interpret the political conspiracies of his time. He saw the hand of God guiding the history of Israel and Judah. Um, in chapter 9, Isaiah also saw the hardened hearts of the people, and he knew they would not repent. In the midst of all their troubles, they refused to turn toward God. And we see that now. We see so many now are rejecting God. They're refusing to turn toward God and did not seek his help. They refused to turn toward God and did not seek his help. How many of you at times see that? Oh, I, you know, I can, I, I can take care of this on my own. I, I, you know, God, God can't help me. I've heard, I've actually heard that before. Oh, God can't help me. Um, in fact, when Isaiah challenged Ahaz to trust God, Ahaz chose to trust the Assyrians. The people of Israel and Judah thought their various conflicts were with the Syrians, Assyrians, Babylonians, and other surrounding nations. Basically, the blame game. Oh, it's this person's fault. Oh, it's that person's fault. But Isaiah knew the source of conflict was the hand of God who strikes them in chapter 9, verse 13. The divine hand that once delivered Israel was now judging Israel. Yeah. Isaiah repeatedly warned that Yahweh's hand is stretched out still. His, his yeah. hand is still stretched out, but still they did out. not turn to him for help. They refused to turn toward God. Oh, my goodness. And so it is with some of us. We refuse to turn towards God. We refuse to seek God for help. And we start blaming others for our situation. Don't, aren't we reminded of that? What did Job's wife say to him? 
Why don't you curse God and die? Don't you see you have no use for God? Don't you see God has deserted you? God has left you? And there's sometimes we, we find ourselves in that situation where we have difficulties in life. And we listen to the noise and we start blaming other people. And other people are saying, why don't you come here? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do God? Don't you see God is not going to help you. You're too far gone. You're helpless. You're, you're hopeless. Don't, don't go to church anymore. Why are you reading your Bible for? It's, it's fake. It's fictitious. It's old. It has no purpose. It, it, you know, it doesn't apply to you today. I mean, so many times we have heard, we, we have heard so many of these things, you know, towards our, our God. And it's sad because then we end up losing out on the blessings and the promises of God. When God's people ignore his call and continue in wickedness, the mercy of God gives way to fiery wrath. The fuel for the divine fire is the flesh of wicked people. And I want you to hear this. In mercy, God is patient. In wrath, God is quick. And I'll say that again. In mercy, God is very patient. But in wrath, God is quick and decisive. The judgment of God will come suddenly. Mm. The people of Israel rebelled against God for generations. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, talked about generational curses and how that is so real. But Israel's sudden destruction would come in one day, meaning quickly, meaning swiftly. For, yeah. all, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. The prophets warned of the coming day of the Lord, a day of darkness, terror, and fury. The suddenness of the day of the Lord implies that no one will be prepared. My God. First Thessalonians 5, verse 2. Second Peter 3, verse 10. There will be many warning signs, but no one will see them. No one will pay attention. The day of the Lord will be the day in which God makes war with all the forces of darkness, with all the evil of humanity, and makes short work of it all. God's attack will be swift. His victory, sudden. So Hosea in... Um, Hosea chapter 8, verse 1 says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and, trans and uh, trespassed against my law. And here we find that the prophet Hosea was a contemporary with Isaiah. Isaiah lived and preached in the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea lived and preached in the northern kingdom of Israel since the death of King Solomon and the division of the United Kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had rejected their covenant with God. Such a sad, sad state of affairs. They rejected their covenant with God. Have you rejected your covenant with God? The kings of Israel were not of the Davidic dynasty, and they were consistently evil. After many generations of evil in the house of Israel, Hosea is sounding a final warning. And I believe that God is sounding a final warning in the earth. God is sounding a final warning in the earth. The sound of the trumpet, actually a ram's horn, is ominous. Generations yeah. earlier, when Israel camped at the base of Mount Sinai, they heard the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud that provoked terror. And we find that in Exodus 19, verse 16. It signified the presence of Yahweh, the presence of God. When the armies of Israel, led by Joshua, marched around Jericho, sounding trumpets, the trumpets were a sound of war. Joshua 6, verse 4 through 5. 
throughout the ancient world, trumpets were used by armies to intimidate opponents, sound and attack, and issue orders during battle. Judges, uh, Judges 7, verse 16 through 22, with the blast of the trumpet, Hosea announces impending war. From the perspective of, of Israel, the approaching armies of Assyria appear to be led by Sennacherib, but in fact, the Assyrian army is being led by Yahweh. God is waging war against Israel. And it says in Hosea 8 verse 1, God will come as an eagle. Mm-hmm. In Exodus, God is portrayed as a great eagle who bore Israel on its wings. In Exodus 19 verse 4. But God is no longer Israel's protector. Now God comes as a great predatory mm-hmm. eagle, swooping down from the heavens upon its prey. The imagery of the great predatory eagle symbolizes the mighty Assyrian army moving quickly to crush Israel forever. God's people will be swallowed up in Hosea 8, verse 8. So why is Yahweh Israel's enemy? Because for generations, the people of Israel have rejected God's law. And this should teach us something. Yes. When you reject God's law, when you reject God's word, you are an enemy of his. Let me say that again. When you reject God's law, when you reject God's word, you become an enemy of God. Wow. Let that simmer for a second. Yes. Um, they were disingenuous. Their disingenuous protest of loyalty to God falls on deaf ears. The time for repentance has passed. With the sound of the trumpet, God's judgment has come. So we go back and we look. What happens when there is a lack of repentance? Well, there is punishment. In the form of God's judgment. And each judgment is different for everyone. Right? Some are going to go through great hardship. There may be even death um, Mm. that occurs when God is administering his judgment on the earth. So my question to you is, are you an enemy of God? Senior pastor, hope for the future. Yes, and, and the, the trumpet is going to sound again, Pastor O. Gabriel Amen. is ready to sound the, ch- the trumpet, and it will signal the end, and the preaching of the gospel will be over. It will signal that there is no more time for repentance. Repentance. But that the Lord is coming to gather his jewels. He's coming to take away his church. When Gabriel sounds that trumpet, judgment will be poured out upon the land. So Church of God, let's pay some attention. That's what I asked you earlier. So pay some attention to this lesson. But with all that has been said, God's judgment being poured out upon Israel and Judah because of their disobedience, they were carried away, there is still hope. There is hope. Today, can I tell you that there is hope for the future? If your future looks bleak or dark, if your financial situation looks bleak, if it looks dark and you're hoping or praying about how you're going to recover and you see you're at your wit's end, can I tell you that there's hope for the future? Hope in God. Now, the word hope means that we must have confidence. We must have trust. We must have expectation. And that's what 
to get to heaven is like. We must hope in God. We can't see him. We only see him by faith. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we hope in God. So hang on to your hope. Hope in God. Never failing. God never fails. He keeps his promises. We always sing, and this is one of my pet verse, you know that. My hope is built and nothing less than nothing Jesus' less. blood and righteousness. righteousness. Oh, I don't care what's happening right now to you. I don't care what you're going through right now. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, my friend. You might have gone to school all your life. You have done everything necessary. You might have worked all your life. You have done, play everything by the rules, and things look dark, things look bleak. You don't know how you're going to get over, but in the name of Jesus, I give you hope this morning. I bring hope Amen. to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And let that sink into your cranium. Let that sink into your spirit. It's not over until it's over. I don't care how much pain and suffering you have. I don't care what's happening to you. I don't care what's happening to your marriage. I don't care what's happening in your family. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jeremiah said to them. There is hope. Because what was happening here with the fall of Israel, and Israel fell in 722 B.C., Again, B.C. means before Christ. And the impending doom of Judah in 558 B.C., it appears that God's ancient promises to Abraham and David will come to nothing. And that's what the devil is telling you. Whatever you have done, the sacrifices that you have made by coming to church, by serving God, is coming to nothing. And he's showing you bleakness and darkness, but God's promise to establish a priestly kingdom who will bless all the nations of the earth will never falter. Isaiah declares the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The prophet's words do not end with judgment but with hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. The great story of God's redemption will not end tragically but triumphantly. The church will be triumphant and it was going to give them hope because a new king would come. All the other kings, the David king failed to rule God's people in wisdom and righteousness. They failed to maintain fidelity to God's covenant. But oh, there was going to come a new king. Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his root, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You see what's happening in our economy? You see what's happening around the world? And it's easy to throw up your hands and give up and say it's all over. No, no, no. Speak over yourself. Speak over your spirit. Speak over your children. Speak over your household. Speak over your family as we speak over God's church that, oh, the church will be triumphant. It's not going to be like that. My friend, my, whatever you're going through, it's not permanent. With God, all things are possible. Can I say that again? Oh, I feel my holy hush coming. With God, all things are possible. Even the resurrection of the dead nation is possible. The prophet spoke of Israel as a great olive tree that would be struck by lightning and destroyed by fire. But from the dead stump of a righteous branch, Jesus would spring forth. God promised David there would be no end to his dynasty. Within the burnt out dead stump of the olive tree was a seed, seed, Jesus, who came to this the womb of the woman who came from, from Mary. Oh, yes, and man had nothing to do with it. It was the Spirit of God that overshadowed Mary, and she was conceived. Never happened before. Never will happen again. 
but she was conceived and she bring forth a son and his name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. And Isaiah said that upon his shoulder, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, I wish I had Brother David here preaching this. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. That's our Lord. That's our Jesus. The new king would be like, unlike all who preceded him. He alone would receive a sevenfold endowment of gift from God that established his perfect reign. The Holy Spirit, the wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. Can I repeat those seven, seven um, um, gifts that God gave his son? He would have the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. And can I tell you that he has imparted that to his church? Oh, yes. Remember that the number, the number seven represents perfection or completion. The number seven, we have said it over and over again from our study since last year. The number seven represents perfection or completion. The perfect king will establish a perfect kingdom. And it will be a kingdom of righteousness. It will be a kingdom of justice. And it will abide in complete faithfulness to God. Because of the rule of this new king, someday all creation will be at peace. And in order for this to be achieved, there must be a new people whose heart is changed. And listen to um, verse 20. And the sticks whereupon the righteous shall be in thine hand before their eyes. Verse 21. And say unto them, say unto them, Ezekiel, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. They were taken captive, but the Lord said to this new king, to my servant, they will be brought back to their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. And the same thing is going to happen to us. We're not going to, when God comes back, it's not going to be a church over there and a church of this or a different name. We're going to be all God people and I was intrigued by the song that was written it says if you want a brand new world you got to get a brand new people if you want a brand new people you got to come to Jesus Christ he is the answer my friend in verse 15 to 19 the Lord tells Ezekiel to choose two sticks to represent the divided kingdom he is to hold the two sticks together to symbolize how Israel and Judah will eventually be joined together again. Oh, yes. And, and that became a reality. The new people will be characterized by a transformation of heart. Jesus Christ is the anointed son of David who ruled as the righteous king. All those who swear allegiance to the divine king are the new people of God. Aren't you glad to be a part of that? The Apostle Paul envisioned a restored olive tree signifying the restoration of Israel as they confess their sins and believe in Christ. In Romans 10, 9-10, all the Gentiles nations who likewise confess and believe will be grafted in the restored olive branch. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. What a God he is. What a God he is. What a God he is. All right, Pastor Ho, take us home. Take us home. New creation. Amen. So we have, we're looking forward to, we have a hope. We're looking forward to a new king, a new people, and a new creation. Zephaniah 3, verse 14 through 20, and I actually read 14 and 15. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. 
Yes. Shout, Shout, O Israel. Be glad. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O Hallelujah. daughter of Jerusalem. Yes. The Lord has taken away thy judgments. He has yes. cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even Amen. the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou yeah. shalt not see evil yeah. anymore. Wow. That would cause a great leap in my spirit. Um, mm. which we were in church. <laughs> Zephaniah ministered as a prophet during the reign of King Josiah of Judah. Zephaniah's song of joy must be understood against the background of the terror of the coming day of the Lord in which God will utterly consume all creation with his fiery wrath. Now, Zephaniah sees beyond the sufferings of the exile, beyond the sufferings of this present age. He envisions a new creation in which the long period of mourning will be turned into joy, celebration, and dancing. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing. In the new creation, God has forgiven the people's sin and removed the judgment of the law. God has delivered the people from their enemies. The new creation causes all of heaven to rejoice. In fact, Yahweh himself celebrates. He will exalt over you with joy, verse 17 says. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Zephaniah envisions Yahweh as a dancing warrior who celebrates a long-awaited victory. There are some of us that are longing to celebrate that victory. And right now, we feel as if there is no hope. But let's join in together and recognize that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We must recognize that the message of the prophets transcends time. Yes. The prophets spoke to the people of their time, but now they speak to our day as well. The prophets saw beyond the evil and suffering of their time and of our day as well. They saw beyond despair and spoke words of hope. God's promise to Abraham was that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm. We find that in Genesis 12 verse 3. In other words, God's great story of redemption envisions new people comprised of all the nations of the earth under the reign of God. God's anointed king, Jesus Christ, has come. And my friends, He's coming back again. Yeah. R.C. Sproul said, hope is called the anchor of the soul yes. because it gives stability to the Christian life. Yes. But hope is not simply a wish, meaning I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. It was Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's our hope. And somebody said the other day, that's all I have. That's all I've got. That's my hope. And I'm going to hold on to that hope with all my strength 
because I know that my long-awaited victory is on its way. Yes, yes. I'm waiting for that time when I can Mm. celebrate. Amen. When I can be just like a dancing warrior, there in (laughs) heaven with God, celebrating my long-awaited victory. Are you ready? Mm. Are you ready? Are you ready? Senior pastor, can you close us out in prayer? Praise God. Praise yes, yes. I hope that I, when this service concludes today, that we will have some more dancing warriors. Dance through your pain. Dance through your suffering. Dance through your circumstances. Because Jesus is coming again. He went away. Not to stay. Not to He's stay. coming again. And as we close this study today, Let's pay attention to the contents and verbiage of what Israel went through. They disobeyed, they backslid, suffered greatly. Um, Can I tell us this morning that God is a jealous God who will not, and I repeat, will not share his glory with anybody else. So today, sunshine, heed the warning. Stop worrying after things of this world because you are a peculiar people, your royal priesthood, holy nation. If you love, love sincerely. Love without wavering. Stop going places that does not honor your testimony. Stop playing around with strange men and women. Stop playing around with strange gods. Be sincere. Be upright. Be kind. Be affectionate. And don't go back to the vomit of life. Can I repeat that? Don't go back to the vomit of life. Don't go back to the swamp. We used to sing a little song. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. I have a race that I must run and a victory that I must win. Give me power every hour to be true, true to yourself, true to relationship, true to marriage, true to God, true to church, true to family and others. Don't be swayed by sinful promises. Don't be swayed by sinful promises. Yes, my friend, because he's coming back again. He's going to pay the man according as the work shall be. And if you're not saved today, I want to pray for you this morning. If you're struggling through life's journey and all you can see is darkness around you and you're giving up, you have lost your hope, you have lost faith in God, I want to pray for you this morning that you will be strengthened. I want you to believe God. I want you to just lift your hand. Turn over your hand like you're holding a cup. Waiting for God to bless you. For, oh yes, he's getting ready. He's getting ready to turn your morning into dancing. He's getting ready to give you that victory that you have waited for. You just watch God. When one door closed, another one opened up. And God is getting ready to open up a door for you. Doors, doors of happiness. Doors of joy. Doors of your financial situation and you will see God if you are faithful to him you must be faithful to him in order to receive so bow your head this morning close your eyes Father we come to you this morning we have imparted your words to your children your inspired words and as you spoke to Israel and Judah you are speaking to us and as you forgave Israel and Judah, you're ready to forgive us this morning of our sins and our trespasses. Lord, it's not over until it's over. Oh, yes. And because we go to situation, it's not the end. There is victory ahead. And we look forward. We look to you from whence cometh our help. Help us to see beyond despair and speak over ourselves. Speak words of hope. Speak words of kindness.
Speak to ourselves this morning. Speak to our spirit this morning. Somebody's low in spirit this morning. Somebody has lost the love this morning. Somebody is about to give up. Somebody don't know if they can trust you anymore. But, oh, in thee we put our trust this morning. Thou art our rock. Thou art our sword. Thou art our shield. Thou art the rock of our salvation. And we cling to you this morning, the rock of our salvation. We embrace you this morning. We love you as our Lord and as our Savior. Help us, Lord, that we will not give up. We will not give in but we will hold to you. Help us not to compromise, O God, but if we have transgressed against you, that we will turn to you in true repentance this morning and never look back, never look back as they look back and became a pillar of salt. O God, in the name of Jesus, help us this morning to keep our eyes on the Christ, keep our eyes on you, and not the things of this world. You are going to bring us through. And for this, we praise you this morning, and we hang on to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray for those who are not saved today. Save somebody today. Save somebody today. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so we need to repent, because soon you are coming back. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us this morning, and help us to carry the message for when we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Thank you today, Savior, and we praise your name, and we give thee glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.